Sometimes, the light of Christ shines brightest when it bleeds through the cracks of a broken heart. Real people, real stories of hope for the hurting, and triumph over tragedy through faith in Jesus Christ. This is Out of the Grave with Rob and Dave. Hey, welcome to another exciting edition of Out of the Grave with Rob and Dave. I'm Rob. I'm Dave. And uh, I want to introduce a special guest. This is somebody that I've literally known all my life. It's my uncle, uh, Aaron Stroud. Hey, Aaron, welcome. Howdy. How y'all doing? Doing good. 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 good hanging you. in there. You know, uh, Dave, Aaron is one of these stories that uh, he was such uh, an alcoholic and drug addict that for years, in my mind, I thought it wasn't a matter of if he was going to die, you know, overdose, crash while, you know, drinking, intoxicated, whatever. It was a matter of when. So uh, just the fact that he's sitting here today, I mean, it honestly is a miracle, really. Uh, so, yeah, Aaron, you know, uh, if you just want to start out and kind of tell us who you are and start, you know, whenever you're comfortable and, you know, tell us with whatever you're comfortable telling us. Okay, okay. Well, if I wait till I'm comfortable, that's going to take a while. So I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in. Yeah. Um, I'm Aaron Stroud, as Robert said. Uh, I was born in 1964, so I'm old man. I like that. <laughs> but no, uh, what Robert said was really true. Uh, I started smoking marijuana when I was 14. I was shooting up cocaine by the time I was 16 um, and dropping acid. Uh, you know, and it progressed like that for uh, about 35 years. Uh, it culminated, you know, with me being homeless and, uh, just, you know, I just did so much meth that I lost my company. I lost everything. Once I got hooked on the meth, it was pretty bad. But, uh, you know, and then just real quickly, I just was standing there and I was, uh, there was a train going by real slow in front of me, and I, I noticed I was counting the clicks as the wheels would go over the, the iron, you know, on the where the iron met there together. I was counting how to go on the metal, and I realized why I was counting it is because I was going to lay my head down across there, and I wanted to make sure my timing was right, and that's when I fell on my knees, and I looked straight up there, and I said these exact words. I said, God, there has got to be more than this, and Hey, you know, like uh, 18 years later, here I am. I mean, that's kind of a quick version of it, but there's uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, just, you know, uh, like as I stopped, uh, one thing, like once I was able to stop drinking whiskey, well, my beer drinking went crazy. So I was quite glad when God took that away from me. And then, uh, you know, everything kind of as it went, it, it wasn't an overnight process. Uh, it took... Uh, you know, it took me 35 years to get there, and it's taken me nearly on to 20 to get back. Right. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. You know, I, Dave, I remember a time when I went into Aaron's room and I opened up a uh, a drawer to like a, I don't know what they call them, like a bureau or I don't know, whatever you call it, something like that. And uh, it was just full of paint cans just gold uh, paint cans and Ziploc baggies. 
I mean, there were there had to have been just a couple of dozen of those. And I know I remember well, one time probably more like a few hundred. But. <laughs> they, yeah. Well, yeah, I remember one time when you and I went to the uh, drive-in, and you were pretty much just you know hack and paint the whole time. Um, and you told me once that was like when it you you were down to paint when you were low on money. Is that was that the was that the deal? Oh yeah, uh, you know, of course. Uh, <clears throat> I, I've sold drugs on and off, you know, most of that time in my life because you know that you, it's just part of it. If you're going to be in that world, you're going to wind up selling sooner or later. But uh, you know, when I would hold a job, get paid on payday, you pay the minimal amount of your bills, you lie about the rest, and then you go buy the very best marijuana or the most expensive. Well, I wasn't really most expensive on whiskey because I was old Jim Bean drinker. That's what I liked. It didn't matter if it was cheap or expensive. So, I mean, that was a set price. But uh, the main thing a lot of the money goes for is marijuana. And then, of course, everybody, Friday night, Saturday night's party. Well, then by, you know, Monday, you're scraping pennies. <laughs> and, you know, a 12-pack of beer costs five bucks and a can of paint costs a dollar. So, uh, and uh, I didn't, I was, without even knowing it, I was, drug suiciding this whole time in my life because of issues in my childhood that I hadn't come to terms with and I didn't understand. And, uh, you know, so I was self-imploding. And uh, just because I ran out of money, I was not going to let that implosion stop, you know. Right, right. Yeah, a guy we talked to last week, uh, David Stoker, uh, he had said something whenever he was at a music festival that Dave and I were at uh, that really, really struck me. He said, I didn't have an addiction problem. I had a trauma problem. Yeah. Yeah. David, uh, I've worked with David quite a bit. Yeah. He had a very traumatic childhood. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of that is, is, I guess some people, you know, some come from good homes or whatever, but a lot of people are just trying to bury stuff, I think. Yeah. Uh, I know as, um, as my work as a certified peer specialist, a drug rehab counselor. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is, I can almost tell you without, uh, any doubt in my mind about it. The drugs and the alcohol are never the problem. They're a symptom. And that pretty much goes across the board. Every once in a while, you'll find someone that just parties because they like being high. But they're very few and far in between truly people that are truly, truly like that. Because even the ones that me that would always say that, there was still trauma I was running from, but I just didn't know I was running from it, you know? So... But yeah, it uh, a lot of it starts from childhood. Uh, some of it starts from. I mean, it can it can be something simple. Adults don't realize how easily we can damage the psyche of a child. Yeah, and some of that stuff carries through like little time bombs until we get old. It's, it I mean, kind of kind of stays with you forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of like if you think back, if you had a pet when you was young, well, you still kind of miss that pet if you actually sit and think about it. Well, I just think about a psychological time bomb that is set in there and had 30 years to tick and grow inside your head, you know, before it goes off. Right. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a dysfunctional, very, very dysfunctional and abusive home. And, uh, you know, for uh, I'd say from the ages of 10 to the age of 20, because I didn't move out of my parents' house until I was 20. And that was actually the last time that my dad ever put his hands on me. And... That was because I told him I, I had had enough by that point, you know, and I was like thinking I'm 20 years old. I'm not going to keep putting up with this. And the last time my dad put his hands on me, I threatened him. I told him if he did it one more time, I literally was going to kill him. 
So that was it. You know, he never he never touched me again. Oh, yeah, you know, he he would give me, he would give me the evil eye and and talk trash to me and stuff like that. But I don't care. Words are words. In one ear, not the other. I don't care. Put your hands on me. That's a whole different story. But um. <laughs> You know, uh, but, you know, I had to endure from the age of 10 to the age of 20 physical, emotional and mental abuse. I was called every name in the book, told I was stupid. I would never amount to nothing and that I was hated and this, that and the other. And, you know, it it does stay with you because I think what I did was instead of like really getting help with it, uh, even to this day, there's a lot of it. I just buried it. You know, now I don't bury it now with drugs or alcohol, but I did back in the day. I've been clean for over 20 years, uh, 20, almost 20, no, over 24 years now, actually. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, I know what it was like to, to go through being on meth and ended up homeless because of it. I lost my job, had nowhere else to turn to. My parents, they didn't know I was doing drugs. They just thought I was messing up again, you know, screwing up my life. And they refused to let me stay with them. So I ended up homeless on the streets. I ended up in a homeless shelter, but uh, it, it was scary. It was the scariest time of my life. I I I quit cold turkey. That's what got me to quit was ending up homeless. And um, but it, that that's the pain of what you go through and all of that. It it really it does stick with you because I mean I grew up never trying to succeed at anything because I didn't think I was good enough at anything and I didn't believe in myself. I had no self confidence, no self esteem, and thank God, literally, I have all of that now. But there are times where. That little voice pops in and, oh, you're not good enough, Dave. You're too stupid. And you know what I mean? And it's it's like it's not not my voice. It's like the voice of my dad saying all that kind of stuff. But I get what you I, I get, you know, what you're saying. And uh, yeah, it it sticks. It, it stays with you. And it's 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 hard to deal with it. A lot of people do turn to drugs and alcohol to numb the pain, I guess you could say. Well, to numb the pain and sometimes just to feel something. Yeah. Sometimes they've been so emotionally broke that they're incapable of uh, what we would consider normal emotions, normal love, normal uh, friendships, because they're just uh, they're incapable of having it because of, of uh, abuse when they were young. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, you take a little child, all that little child knows is love. But all you teach that child is abuse and, and, and hatred. It's whole life. Well, that child is going to have a really difficult time when it becomes adult. Having a normal, you know, male-female relationship, the love of it, part of it, the friendship part of it, the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, uh, I don't know if you're a married man, but I know Robert and I are both long-term yeah. married men, and it, it's a lot more than just a physical thing to be married. It, it's psychological. It's the fact that she's my best friend. It's, you know, it's a lot of things. And some of these things, because of the abuse and because of, uh, you know, what mommy or daddy did to them or whatever... Uh, they're simply not capable of, of having these type of relationships without a lot of help. Yeah, that's right. true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said before, it's, it's not a matter of a lot of us walking around and, and, you know, crying about, you know, the names that we were called or something, but more that, that the, that kind of abuse, whether it's mental, physical, both, you know, whatever, that kind of um, builds the foundation that, that we grow on as an adult. Uh, and that, you know, it, it almost can't help but become our inner voice uh, as an adult, you know, which I think drives a lot of people. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I will say, uh, Dave, that uh, my grandma and grandpa, you know, Aaron's mom and dad were were amazing. And, I, you know, I they let him live in the back room of their house. 
for a long time when I think they knew exactly what was going on. Uh, I remember I tried to confront grandma about it once and uh, I said, hey, do you know what's going on? And, you know, he does this and that. And I didn't go into specifics, but uh, she kind of interrupted me and she said, I know. She said, I, I know that there's problems, but she said, I love him and I don't want to see him on the street. Yeah. And, I would, and that's what I was thinking was, was she right. let him stay there to keep him safe. Cause it was like, right. well, you're doing these things. I know you're doing these things. I don't like that you're doing these things, but letting you stay at my house in the back, at least I know where you are and I know you're safe. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think that's tough. I mean, I, th- I think that's really, really tough because a lot of people are saying, you know, kick him out. That's going to teach him a lesson. And man, sh- sh- they just never did. You know, you know, sometimes the tough love does really work well. And then there's other times, and I'm not specifically speaking of myself, but you have to confront the tough love thing a little differently. You can't. It's not ever as easy as black and white, you know. Did she enable me? Yes. Uh, did I abuse that? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I was starting to really get my life put together, and then I got onto the meth. And that sort of just really sidetracked everything. And fortunate, I say fortunately, but fortunately, within only a couple of years, I've seen people that's been on meth for 15 years, you know. But so fortunately, it kind of sidetracked me really quickly. But that was the end of my drug career, which was really great. But I had to lose everything. I had to be homeless. I had to not just rebuild my life. I had to rebuild my marriage. I had to rebuild my trust with my family. I had to... I I started out with a Walmart bag and a couple of shirts and a pair of shoes. And, you know, and I remember washing out. Uh, I had two pairs of skibbies. Wash one one night, so you got a clean pair the next day, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But the Lord has really brought me back. He, I put in the effort, and he's rewarded that. And I'm so thankful. I would have nothing if it wasn't for him. Right. Exactly. To kind of get back to where we were, uh, so you said that, uh, you came across these trains moving slow on a train track and, oh, yeah. and you were you were counting the clicks and you were contemplating, you know, using the train to commit suicide and you fell to your knees and you cried out to God. What happened after that? Well, immediately after that, I just got up and walked and uh, there's this place where I was bumming a couch and I went and I sat there for a while and I really didn't know what to do. And so I kind of wandered around for a few days kind of thinking about, you know, the fact that something had intervened. And being brought up in a Christian household, I knew it was God. But I just had to understand why he just wouldn't just let me go ahead and throw my life away. I mean, well, it's not like he stopped me. He just made me think about the choice enough that I made the right choice. And then I went online. (laughs) It was heading towards Christmas, so I got a part-time job at Sears selling tools, because I could talk tools, but I know about (laughs) tools, I could sell tools. (laughs) And uh, I said, Uh yeah, I sold you a lawnmower. (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, you know, and then from that, I I started building my self-esteem. I I went to uh, college, started college, which helped more, and um, I learned to that... uh, me being a citizen was that it was okay for me to take a mental health day once in a while, but I had used up all my, uh, let's just call them party days. There was no more party days left. There was no more, like, couple, like six days at work. You've used your sick days up. Well, I've used up a party day for my whole life. And it was, then it was just, uh, amazing. Like when I would start in the effort of something, God would just make it. 
to where I could get that, you know, and uh, uh, put kind of funny. It, it was like a country song, man. You know, I got me and my wife started dating again, and we had to start at square one. It wasn't like we just jumped right back in, you know, into a relationship. I had to date her again. I had to court her. I had to win her favor and her love. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had to prove to her that I was a man worthy of a good woman. Tell you what, a good woman might stay with a man that's not so good of a man for a while, but she ain't going to stay there a long time. Right. You want a good woman? You have to be a good man. You yeah. know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and then God made made it to where I could do this and that. And I was able to get back in the church. She, you know, she would bring me to church. And that was would kind of be more of how we were dating. And once we reestablished our relationship, then I really started working more on, uh, you know, getting everything done. And then in uh, 20, yeah, it was, no, what was it? Yeah, it was 2013, wasn't it? 2013, I received my ordination, you know, and uh, that made, that opened some doors for me because I got to go and I got to run a mission for the Lutherans for three years. And that was pretty good. But it, it's all this stuff that the Lord did. I mean, um, it, it, it's like where he says, you know, let me know the desires of your heart, boys, because I'm going to fix you up if it's accordance with my will. And he did. I, I followed. I, I believed in the promises. And he stood by them. Amen. You know, I mean, it, I'd like to say, oh, well, I'm this mystery. Boys, I didn't do nothing. I put in a little effort and God did the rest. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to remind myself of that sometimes when I ask for God, you know, uh, change this or do that, Lord, and whatnot. And, you know, and then sometimes I feel like I'm not seeing any results. And then I have to stop and think, well, God wants you to put the effort in, man. You got to try. You got, you know, you got to do your part, man. You know, don't be like, hey, God, you take care of it. I'm going to sit over here and wait. No, it don't work like that. You know, you you, got to make the effort. Absolutely. Yep. And another thing, too, is like uh, I noticed in a lot of my work with people with substance abuse issues, uh, a lot of them kind of come in with thinking, like, oh, man, I quit getting high and it's not going to rain on me no more. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the way it is. You're still going to have bills. Your, your car's still going to break down. Life's still going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the only difference is, is you're not stoned now and you can deal with it. Right. You know, and so sometimes, you know, there's a lot of pitfalls that people don't think of when it comes to long-term recovery because I don't really feel it's talked about enough because you say, oh, well, let's get them straight, let's get them sober, let's get them sober. But then at, at somewhere like 90, 120 days, we sort of seem to drop the ball. And even now, we're they're even cutting down on that because, like, now they've got it cut down to a, a normal detox days, like four days. Uh, people can barely detox in four days, you know, and it's just, uh, it, it's becoming about the dollar. That's It's really hard to find a place. If you do this kind of work where it's not about the money, where it's about the people, you know. See, I was always under the assumption that, uh, you know, because you hear people going into like rehab for like 30 days. So I, I assumed it always took 30 days. No. No. no I, in my opinion, to successfully go through rehab, it needs to be at least a six month program. Okay. That's I know. I've heard of places that go a whole time. year. Oh, yeah. Well, teen challenges yeah, I mean, a year. that's yeah. why I say at least a six month program. Yeah. Wow. Teen challenges and assembly guide program. It's, it's 12 months. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. Because, yeah, I mean, just think about it like, okay, say you're there for 30 days. Well, in 30 days, what can you really accomplish besides getting your head together? Because, say, you've been in a fog for the last 10 years. Well, in 30 days, you're barely going to be able to do anything, be to the stage where basically all you want to eat is candy and you really, really want to be talked to a lot because you don't feel good because your body's starting to not just have its physical withdrawals, but its mental withdrawals. And mental withdrawals are very real and can keep people on drugs just the same as a physical withdrawal can. 
So, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things, uh, unfortunately, not a lot of people make it. And I, I really wish there was a, some kind of magic word or something, like just say boom and you're healed. But it's a lifetime of effort, you know. I can't let my guard down for a minute. If I've let my guard down and walked into a trap house right now, I could probably say I could walk out of there without doing dope, but I can't tell you for sure. So I'm not going to take that chance. Right. And I've got almost 20 years in. Yeah. So That's awesome. But how did, do you ever, after, which is a long time as you have it, do you ever have cravings or anything, or do you still have the dreams? I still, I don't have the dreams anymore. You, but. you know what's weird, man, is... Uh, when I quit the meth, I, I, cause I only did it for about two years yeah. and, uh, I, I was able to quit cold Turkey. I, it's so weird. And I gave up all the people I hung out with. I even had some people tell me, Dave, you don't get high no more. You're not cool. I don't want to hang out with you. And it's like, okay. No yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay. I, well, I guess you were never my friend to begin with then, you know? Um, yeah. and it was weird. Cause like, even when I was doing that stuff, I never had to buy any, I just hung out with people and they'd be like, Dave, you want to do a line? Yeah, sure, man. Let's do it. You know? And people would just bust out with me. But when I quit, no. No cravings, no withdrawals, nothing, man. It was so weird. I was able to just quit and never look back. But you're very fortunate. Yeah, very lucky. That's a miracle. Well, you know, Dave, for a long time, we... Uh, I say we as in family and friends of Aaron. You know, we we thought that there was that magic word. Um, You know, there was that that magic talk or that magic Bible verse, you know, that we were going to say. It's like, dude, there's there's that one thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to say... That's going to just click and the light bulb is going to go on. He's going to go, dude, you're so right. I need to quit. I need to change my life. You know, and I and I personally never seen it happen. I mean, I would I would hang out with Aaron. I would go to parties with him and he'd walk in. Everybody. Get, we don't know that guy. And he'd be like, no, he's cool. You know, and, and that, that's like the, the two words that you say, you know, to let everybody know that he that, that the guy's not a narc or something, you know, and Aaron be like, no, he's cool. I would sit there with him. Uh, smoking my cigarettes while, while he was getting high and I'd be trying to talk to him and he'd get higher and he'd become more theological and then we'd be talking. And I just kept thinking there was that one thing, man, that I was going to say. And and that was, I mean, that was tough for me. You know, it's really tough to watch somebody that you love go down that road and you feel fully helpless. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, uh, one of the biggest, most, uh, Helpless feelings I think I've had to experience in the past year was uh, my buddy. Well, he was kind of my caretaker, but he was my good friend, too. He, uh, I was down in bed sick, so he texted my, my friend and said, man, I screwed up. I'm losing consciousness. And they found him an hour later dead. He just had to do that one last shot of meth. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, man, and, and uh, that one hit me hard, you know, coming out of that and you know, it's one of these foes, man. Drugs are one of these foes that, yeah, I guess you can look at it like I came out a winner because I came out better because of my experiences, because they made me grow up and those experiences made me take my head on my bottom and become a man. But I think I could have picked an easier way. You know, I mean, I think I don't think you have to go through all that just to make yourself a man. <laughs> right. No, no. I mean, you know, we all have regrets in life. I mean, my goodness, man, there's there's things I wish I'd never done. I, you know, I used to be a smoker, too, man. I smoked for almost 28 years. I quit five years ago and now I vape, <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's it. my only bad habit is the vaping. But yeah, I wish I had never, ever touched a cigarette. I wish I had never, ever touched any drugs. I wish I had never, ever taken a single sip ever of any alcohol, you know, things like that. 
you know, some people say that, you know, everything that happens is God's will. And, and I, I don't, I don't think that our choices uh, our bad choices are God's will. I don't think that he's sitting up there going, okay, so I want Aaron to go through X, you know, decades of, <laughs> of you know, torment and addiction. And then I'm going to use that. I think instead he's like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Uh, I hate it. But, you know, when he comes out of it, we'll deal with it then. And, and, you know, we can, we can use this for our good, which he has, you know, I mean, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, that's how I, I look at it because it's like uh, if I hadn't become a, a, a peer specialist and if I hadn't done the things I do to work with, the, you know, to be a rehab minister and to do the things I do, then it would have felt like a wasted, wasted life. You know, I mean, it, it gives purpose to a wasted life is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, I was all that time I spent with my head in bottles, joints, cans, whatever. Was that wasted time? Yeah, it is valuable time it should have never been wasted but i did so now the only thing i can do is let god take it and make a sweet smelling rose out of it you know mm-hmm. right and he's allowed me to do that pretty much well you you have mentioned a couple times about you know peer specialist and what you do now can you kind of walk us through how that happened and and what it is that you do now okay uh well a certified peer specialist uh, we're certified by the mental health board, uh, the board of, uh, oh, what is it? Health and Human Services out of, uh, Jefferson City. Uh, we are certified mental health providers. Uh, I mean, we don't just say, oh, well, this is what I'm going to do. We go and, uh, we have to study this big old thick book about like this and take this test. It takes all day. And, uh, but you know, you get your peer specialist and, um, a lot of what a peer does is we take our story and we use our story and how we made it to the other side to to help with other people. You know, like because a lot of the things are similar. A lot of the things they're going through when I would have people come in my office over at the, the facility where I worked there and they would sit down the first time and they would start telling me this and that. And I'd say, OK, well, and then did this happen? They'd be like, yeah. I said, and after that for so long, then it kind of evolved. This. Well, yeah, you know. So there's, there's each person's addiction is, is really individual. So each treatment plan has to be very individual, but there are so many similarities, which allows the peer program to work because nobody is going to be able to talk better to an old theologian than an old theologian. Nobody is going to be able to understand the trauma that a fireman has to put up than another fireman. Well, nobody's going to understand what it's like to be in the trenches all them years if you were never there. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you can't get an education and do this. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are people that have never gotten high and have gotten educations and are good, good, good caretakers for the mentally ill. And addiction is a mental illness, the way I look. So, you know, but the way I did is is the peer program allows me to take, like I said, a wasted life, take my experience and help people. And I've just been lucky. I, I've always requested uh, I want inmates just coming out for reentry. I want uh, what we call a dual diagnosis person, which means they have a, a mental health issue plus a substance abuse issue. Um, you know, and it's just one of those things. A lot of people you're going to be able to help, and a lot of people you're going to think you're helping are going to lie square to your face. Um, a successful, really good counselor will have about a 1% success rate. Wow. Yeah, it's it's that that's the enemy I fight as a drug counselor. See, that's the thing, man, is honestly like, uh, you know, it, it comes down to the the person has to want to change, yes. you know, and uh, I, I've experienced even in, uh, you know, uh, uh, not 
my family, well, kind of my, my wife's stepdad, he, he passed away a few months ago, but, uh, you know, with him, it was just, um, con- he was a hardcore alcoholic, would always try to hide it. He would lie about it, try to convince everybody that he's been sober when we all knew he wasn't. His eyes be glazed over and you could smell it on him and his behavior and things like that. And it was, I always found it weird because like he would always go to AA meetings. He would always go to celebrate recovery. And there were times where I wanted to ask him, why are you even going when you have no intentions or plans at all to quit? Because I think for for him, it was just a place to go and hang out with people. You know, yeah. that that's the way I, I, I looked at it because there was no, his, his fruit was, was, was rotten, man. You know, he was showing his fruit and his fruit was rotten, yeah. but, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's listening to you talk that kind of reminded me of that. Um, yeah, but sure. 100% right. When you say that it has to be done for yourself, you can't yeah. do it for anybody else. Uh, I have mothers come in, lost their children to DFS because of methamphetamine or whatever, domestic violence. Uh, which I don't like dealing with, but I will. I mean, you got to, you can't pick and choose, you know. Right. But, uh, you know, these women come in and, well, I'm going to get control. I'm getting my kids. No, you got to get clean because it's the most important thing in your life. And until it becomes the most important thing in your life, you're going to fail. And lots of people don't like the fact that I look at it so black and white like that, but that's the truth. It I'm, is the I'm, truth. I'm a yeah. minister of the gospel. I'm not here to sugarcoat it for you. Mm-hmm. And if I have to step on your toes, well, sometimes that's part of my job, you yeah. know. But it, if I'm not honest with you, then I'm lying to myself, you know. And I just can't do that anymore in my life. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, and I, I respect what you're doing sincerely. And I've actually in the past, I thought about, you know, consider getting into that line of work, you know, being like a drug counselor and just helping people, you know, get clean, stay clean and, you know, uh, live good, productive lives. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't go through, you know, I didn't, I didn't spend, you know, 30 years, you know, uh, doing, doing all that stuff. But for me, it was, uh, you know, it was most of my twenties. I, uh, you know, and there was other addictions, you know, cause when, when, when people say addictions, people, most people instantly assume, Oh, addicted to drugs, addicted to alcoholic, you know, alcoholism, but there's other, you know, addictions. Someone might oh, yeah. have, someone might have an addiction to pornography or gambling or, yep. you know, whatever. And those people, they can be delivered from all of that too. They can be helped through that stuff and they can overcome it as well. Yeah. See, the, the thing is, is for me, now, I, I, well, of course, I think this affects everyone across the board, but I can only make a statement for myself and my feelings. I could not have done it without God because every one of my addictions that I beat were taken from me. Because I can still remember the day when I was at a restaurant and I had been letting myself sometimes have a little mixed drink when we go out to a nice place. I can have one Long Island iced tea. And and I ordered that Long Island iced tea and I looked at it and I was like, dude, I just don't want it. It's not a matter of I don't like the taste of it because I love the taste of it. I just, there's, I mean, the, finally in my life for the first time, cravings were completely gone. This has been several years ago. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I still remember, you know, and I don't know if I was delivered right at that second or if I had been delivered before and I just was too dense to catch up with it till then. But either way, 
man, that epiphany of thinking, oh, wow, now if he can take alcohol out of my hands, then pretty much he can help me with anything. Oh, yeah. And if the Lord had restored my brain, I, I, I don't mean to take up all the time, but uh, you can ask Robert oh, fine. things I've done. If the Lord had restored my brain, I could have never went to college. I would have not been able to sit here and have a conversation with you all. I doubt if I could add simple, do simple mathematics had he not helped me. You know, it just I was that determined to destroy my brain. So, but I rem- and I remember when we were kids, there was a time Grandpa had a radio or something that wasn't working, and you took the thing apart and you put it back together, and it worked. And I and that's the kind of brain we're talking. I'm like, man, you know, uh, not everybody has that gift. I know because I tried that. <laughs> when I was married, I used to do that with VCRs, man. I did it with oh, VCRs. We had to know what we called, uh, you know, ghetto blaster. And I was like, well, uh, Aaron, I seen Aaron do it. I can, I can do it. And the first thing I touched was a screwdriver and it went. <laughs> and my wife from three rooms away, half a second later says, what are you doing? What, what, is, what are you burning? So like, <laughs> I blew up the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I burned it. Yeah. So that, that's a gift, you know, and yeah, for God to bring that back around. I mean, you know, talk about restoring what the locusts have eaten. I mean, yeah, man, you know, and it's it's so awesome the way the Lord keeps bringing these people to to Dave and I that are just, you know, I, I told the lady today that we're going to probably do an interview with Dave here in a couple of months. But I said, you know, we're all a member of the, you know, I would be dead if it wasn't for Jesus Club, you know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> And oh, yeah. man, there's a lot of us and, and we just, you know, people see the nice little Bible verses on Facebook and they see our pictures with our you know family. They don't, and they don't know that trauma, that pain, you know, that we had to go through to get here. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Robert, uh, at my dad's funeral, uh, your sister was sitting right behind me Annette, and and I was telling stories like I always do. And she looked at me, she said, Aaron, she said, did you know none of your all of your stories start with I, this? Almost killed me, or I almost died when I did this, or man, I could have died when I was doing. She said all your stories start like that, yeah. and I got to sitting and thinking about it, like you know, they all do start like that, don't they? I mean, like I was the guy that wrote here, hold my beer. Right. <laughs> I remember being in your Trans Am and doing I don't know 120 or something. Oh my you know? gosh! Yeah, yeah and, you know. <laughs> Oh, we got three miles left before we hit the city limits. You know, we're good. I mean, and we got there, and I don't know, like a, a 45 seconds or something. You know? <laughs> Talk about fast and furious, huh? Oh, man, no kidding. Well, you, you told me one time, you totaled how many cars was it before you were 30, like 15? Uh, let's see. Uh, before I was 30, actually, I totaled out at 22. Whew. Wow. You, you, this should have had you on the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they told you know, something like two hundred cars. God, I walked away from every one of them. Oh my goodness! Wow. Because yeah, yeah. you told me one time a long time ago, and I can't remember who originally said this. You know, but I'm like, dude, that's going to kill you. And you said, um, until it's my time to go, nothing can take me. And when it is my time, nothing's going to keep me here. Yep. And and that's a good thing to live as a Christian. But uh, before, yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, was freaking reckless, you know. Oh my gosh, Aaron, that was that one time. Tell us about that. That when your truck went under, remember? Oh, and you yeah. pretty much gave yourself up to to death, honestly. Yeah, uh, I had just bought a little S10, had brand new motor put in it and everything, and so I took a week off from work to go fishing, just to go hang out at the lake. And first night we was there, I guess I was about 
I don't know. I was probably seven eighths into a half gallon of Jim Beam. Oof. I mean, there wasn't much, like about that much bottom. I was rolling that bottle. And uh, my buddy went and got something out of the truck and knocked it out of gear. And the truck went whoop and off this nice little 30-foot cliff and hit and bounced completely around to where the headlights were shining up in the air. And it slowly went into the water as the stereo faded away. <laughs> and um, so I was pretty drunk and I stood there for a minute and I thought, you know, that's a four-wheel drive. If I swim down there, I should be able to drive this truck out. That's how drunk <laughs> I was, boys. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so I dove in, and the water there was approximately 30 foot deep. I found out the next day when they had to actually bring the crane and get my truck out. Oh, man. <laughs> but, uh, wow. I, so I went down, and I got down there pretty far, uh, far enough that it was pitch black. And I was so drunk, I had expended all my oxygen. And it hit me as my oxygen went out, and I breathed that first breath of water in. I was like, hey, this ain't right. <laughs> and in my mind, my mind, something in there said, okay, you're dead. And so I just quit fighting. I just relaxed. And then the weirdest thing happened because I remember. You, 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 weren't free, you weren't freaked out that you were drowning? No. When wow. I decided in my mind, just calm just came completely all over me. Oh, wow. I mean, I just, I just, I knew that there'd be pain and stuff coming because I knew what was going to happen as my brain started to die. Yeah. But I also knew I had a couple minutes that I could sit there and just, since there was nothing I could do, I might as well just, you know, relax and wait for it. And, I mean, that was the way my mind was thinking. And uh, I remember the calm came over me. And then it was just like if I had a, a, a G.I. Joe and put him in water and then reached in with my two fingers just like this, went underneath his shoulders and went and just flicked him like that. My buddy that was up on the land, he said, man, he said, I was looking and looking and looking. He said, all of a sudden, here you come up out of the water from to your waist. And he said, you just land on the cooler. And I landed on the cooler. Of course, I'm spitting water, you know, and everything. <laughs> that was enough to get me to swim back over to shore. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I, I, I still remember it because it, it just felt just like two fingers. And it didn't feel like hands. It didn't feel like I was being lifted. It felt like somebody went like this. It just looked like, like you do a bug or something. Like, oh, man, you're stupid. You're going to die in there. That's what it felt like. Wow. I mean, seriously, you know, I don't know any other way to explain it. But the guy on the shore said I came out of the water to my waist. And there's no way I could have jumped that high. Which for us big guys is not really doable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't come out of the water that high. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's just that's that's one of about 100 stories like that. Wow. So in your line of work that you're doing, you know, you uh, you, you get opportunities, I'm sure, to share uh god's word with people have you have you been able to actually you know help lead anyone to christ um not really because with being in the the you know working in a non-christian place oh okay you know you kind of have to watch what we say but what i have done is i've taken the parables a lot of the parables and i kind of changed the language just a little bit and I teach a lot out of the Bible. And a lot of my teaching, I do, I teach, uh, uh, relapse prevention and I teach, uh, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a certified marriage counselor and, and couples counseling. Uh, and so I use a lot of stuff like that. Now in my counseling, like the couples counseling and stuff, I can interject more, you know, uh, Christian type themes in there, but, uh, I'm somewhat limited on what I can really say, you know, because, I can't really try to lead them this way or that, but 
I use my life as an example, and I make it very clear that I'm a man of God. You know, I mean, it's just, for me, it's, it's, I mean, and everybody there just calls me Rev. You know, nobody, <laughs> a lot of people don't even know my real name. They just call me Rev, you know, so, which is great. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've been on a little sabbatical for a little bit because of my legs, but uh, I'm getting about ready to go back, you know, and uh, go back into the world. I, I, uh, I thought about going up to the, Best place, homeless best place, but I'm I'm not really feeling like that's where I'm led. I'm kind of just waiting. You know, it's like when I went and ran the mission for uh, the Lutherans for three years. <laughs> that was quite a conversation to come to my lifelong AG wife and say, uh, I think the Lord wants me to go be a Lutheran for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun conversation. <laughs> and then next week I'm going to be a Mormon. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> I'm going to buy me something I'm good at. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What you can't tell, you know, just by this this interview is mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, I talk about my chronic pain, but um, I'm really, you know, uh, stellar. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm in really, really good shape compared to Aaron because there's times where he has to use a wheelchair. There's a lot of, you know, you normally walk with two canes. Uh, there's been, yeah, you know, and that's the thing people need to understand is that there's a lot of chronic pain, you know. Uh, it didn't all just go away, like you said, whenever, you know, when you gave your life to Christ, didn't disappear, you know? No, but you've seen, Robert, you, and I, I know I've told you this before, like, you know, sometimes when I get up, I, I just step out on that faith. I know that first step's going to hurt, and I know the second one's probably going to hurt, you know? But there's somewhere that it's going to start feeling a little bit better. It's going to be easier to do, and my faith helps me get that, you know? I have faith. God says he's going to give me strength when I got to have it. And trust me, buddy, if I'm two feet away from the chair and I've still got to try to get to sit down, I'm going to be the first one. Like, Lord, give me strength, man. You know, I, I I depend on him in so many ways now. It's just, it's almost uh, taken over my life. Christianity has almost taken over my life uh, in the manner as far as how much of my life they control as drugs did at one time. I mean, it's hard to make that kind of comparison, but all the time and effort I put into my wasteoid life, I don't mind putting into my Christian you right. know right well and dave like like aaron said you know they call him rev you know uh, and if you look on facebook it says reverend aaron and that is not to brag you know that is because he is ministering to people that a lot of us want to pretend like don't exist you know and and it's one of those things like i said in another broadcast that you know uh he's a living example of you know preach the gospel and if you have to use words you know he's just kind of a walking talking Example, and I think a lot of people. I mean, Aaron, you can tell me if it's true, but I think a lot of people don't really even have to ask. I think they know. I think it's obvious uh, whenever I've they start told dealing with them that people can see the anointing of God on me, and that's why they will talk to me like they do. Yep. They say, "Just man," said because I've had guys, a lot of guys, come in first day they're there, sit down, just open up to me like a book, you know. And and uh, to me. <laughs> This is what's weird. To me, when I look in the mirror, I see the same old street thug I used to be, you know? But around my eyes, I do see some different, you know? The the hardness is gone. And, uh, but yeah, I guess there, I mean, people talk to me, so there's got to be something that draws them in. I don't think it's the smell. (laughs) (laughs) You don't think it's the aroma of God? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> the aroma of God. I like that. Yeah, yeah there you go. Well, you know, uh, Aaron, as we kind of wind down here, man, I, I really, really appreciate you 
uh, getting on here and sharing your story. I wonder if you could just take a couple of minutes for that person who's maybe heard you and said, dude, that's me right there. You know, I, I really, you know, that's nice that he made it out. I don't really think it's possible for me. I mean, can you talk to that person for just a minute? Yeah. Don't be afraid to be selfish in your, in your rehabilitation. Don't be afraid to put yourself first for a while. Don't live like that forever. That's called a narcissist. You don't want to be that. But man, if you got to take that mental health day, take it. If you've got to put yourself together or you've got to spend some more time in meditation and seek the still small voice, I cannot tell you where I'd be without the guidance of God. If And I'll tell you right now, guys, as you seek this still small voice, very seldom will it ever be in words. I mean, you may be one of those lucky people they just talked to you. I don't know. But if you want out, then it has to be your number one thing. It has to be the thing you want more than anything else except life itself. Because what you're giving yourself by getting sober and, and, and managing and going on and dealing with life on life's terms, what you're getting is you. You're getting the best version of you anybody's ever had. And that is a good thing. Amen. Absolutely. Well, Aaron, uh, or Rev, <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I've gotten to, to, to know you. You're a very likable guy. And uh, I love you in now. Christ. I love you. What's that? Now. I said now. Oh, now, now. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that makes and, me wonder what I'm going to be. The way he says it makes me wonder I'm going to be like five minutes after the show. <laughs> Man, it's it's been uh, it's been great, and we you know Rob and I we appreciate you taking the time to share your testimony with us. And uh, you know, guys, I hope I was able to help somebody, and I didn't manipulate your time. That's so. no, no, not at all, man. Uh, you know, you had a lot of great things to say, and you know, it's Rob and I's prayer that anybody who uh, whoever you know watches this or listens to it. If they're going through some some of the similar things that you went through, that they know that there is a way out and that they can, you know, reach out, you know, for help from people like yourself and that uh, they can get through it with, uh, you know, faith in Christ. And so, guys, make sure that you tune in to Out of the Grave with Rob and Dave every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central on the GRR, the GRR. <laughs> gospelrockinradio.com and uh if you're not able to tune in hey no problem we got you covered uh we archive our episodes at anchor.fm slash out of the grave and we're also on spotify and the video episodes are up on our YouTube page, Out of the Grave with Rob and Dave. Just type that in and you will find us. And be sure to uh, subscribe and click the notification button so that you guys uh, get notified whenever Rob or myself uh, upload brand new episodes. So uh, until then, I always say be blessed and be a blessing to others. And we will see you guys next time. All right, guys. Thank you.